What are some lessons that you have learned from your past relationships? You mean romantic? Well, let's say both. The romance perspective would probably be don't try to give a fuckboy another chance because they're just always going to be the same. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your writing process. The book has just been inside of me for years and it's just a deeper dive on all of these teachings and everything that essentially brought me to creating Superhuman. So I've been putting it off for years and it's obviously because my self-image wasn't aligned with someone that finished a book. I wasn't ready to be an author yet. What's the dumbest thing you ever spent money on in your quest for self-improvement? I, I don't think I've ever spent an insane amount of money on something dumb, but can I tell you one that I've never been public about? My name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. Today on the podcast, my new producer, Lisa, asks me questions that were generated by AI technology. She used ChatGPT to ask me questions that I've never been asked before. Well, so you are obviously a tech founder and AI intrigues you. Tell me why. Okay, so we're just jumping into it. Yeah. So weird having the roles reversed with you. I have not been prepped, everyone listening. I have not been prepped whatsoever for this interview. Um, what intrigues me when it comes to tech, I just love the advancement of society. I just love the idea of optimizing and, you know, just just learning, um, you know, about tech and, and how it can actually improve everyone's day-to-day -day lives. And since ChatGPT has come into society in a big way, in a big, it's big debut. Um, I've been using it for a lot of things within the business. I know my team has as well. And uh, Lisa and I had this fun idea to do an interview from ChatGPT, essentially. Well, how have your team been using it so far in other areas oh. of, of Superhuman and uh, of the Mimi podcast? Well, this is the first time we're using it on the Mimi podcast. Yeah. So, you know, um, consolidating call notes and just more so like assistant work, you know, like, okay, take this body of text and like make sure it has the right grammar in it. Or, you know, here's one idea for meditation. Give me 10 more like it type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I've been using it for the meditations in the sense of, you know, helping me come up with more unique content because we have like 500 meditations on superhuman already. Mm -hmm. And it is very difficult to keep that creativity and those creative juices rolling. Um, so it's been really helpful with that. Yeah. And I think that's what it promises, right? To sort of assist us in our work and to make our lives just a little bit easier. And I think what intrigues me about this exercise is that it's essentially collating everything the internet thinks it knows about you and trying to sort of create a scenario or a line of questioning that would, you know, bring out something new. So let's see if this works. So I'm going to so start. Wait, who I am? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it does. I asked them specifically, my question was, what are 20 questions I can ask Mimi Bouchard that no one else has asked her? And then its reply was, as an AI language model, I cannot confirm that these 20 questions have never been asked to Mimi Bouchard, but here are some unique and thought-provoking questions that you might consider asking her. So shall we begin? Let's begin. Okay. Number one, what is something you believe that most people would disagree with? All right. This one, uh, I, immediately what comes to mind is, 
you are 100% responsible for your life and you can create that life of your dreams. A lot of people are in the old mindset, the limited mentality of, you know, what happens to me is completely out of my control. And I believe in more of an empowering thought, which is I can create my future and my response to what happens to me is a huge, huge part of what the outcome actually becomes. So I would say that. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're saying the the old mindset as in sort of blaming society or blaming other people for your problems or seeing obstacles as things you can't overcome, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I reject the victim mentality so much so that it does cause controversy um, sometimes, but I am not in the business of telling anyone that they're a victim. I think empowering people and telling them that they can create that life, that they can change their lives, that it's up to them. I think that just helps the world. So I'm going to continue with that belief. Great. So number two is how has your perspective on success changed over the years? Oh, that's a great question. So I remember when I was first trying to create success in my life, I really had this completely different thought of what it would be like when I reached that point. You know, I used to think that I would just have all these material items and that I would just feel so fulfilled um, because of these material items. And honestly, and people say this all the time and people were telling me this back in the day, but I didn't believe it. I really wanted these material things. And now having you know, the level of success that I do, I would, I would say that that's completely false. And it it really doesn't matter. The material things like don't, they don't fulfill you in the way that you think they're going to. Um, What really fulfills you is being on this mission driven purpose, you know, having a company that helps people or, you know, being able to give to the people you love, you know, since I've created more wealth in my life, my biggest joy is, you know, being able to give to my parents, being able to give a great gift to my sister or, you know, helping someone that needs it um, in my own way. Right. So that's, I think the biggest misconception. Okay. Um, Three, what are some habits that you have developed that have positively impacted your life? All right. A lot of ones, Um, you know, of course, uh, the biggest habit would be just changing the way I think at the end of the day. Like that's, I guess, a habit because it's something you do repeatedly. Um, Changing my mindset, changing how I see the world, how I think and what I believe. That's a very general one. But, you know, when it comes to nitty gritty, eating healthy and loving and respecting my body and not seeing food as something that is bad, you know, with my history when I was younger of disordered eating um, and maybe villainizing certain foods or, you know, being obsessive around food. That was a really big one for me to get over years ago. So really that habit of just not thinking about food all the time and really just treating myself with love and respect and listening intuitively to my body and, and listening to what you know, I need in that moment, whether that's a croissant or a salad, you know, that that's been very healing for me. And then any other actionable tips when it comes to that um, health, you know, I love to have greens every day. I'd love to feel good and eat whole 
plant-focused foods. Um, you know, I do obviously eat meat as well, but just like a big focus on like plants as well. I, I feel really good doing, you know, reducing social media time. That's a habit that I used to struggle a lot with. And honestly, I still do to an extent, but it's a lot better than it used to be. Reading, I just bought a Kindle and it's like changed my life. So reading is great because at night, you know, we often can succumb to that habit of just watching TV before bed. And that's totally fine sometimes, but I find that when I read before bed, I sleep better and I feel better in the morning. I'm just trying to think of any others because I have not been prepped for these questions. Uh, habits, going on walks, going outside, being in nature, calling my mom. I always call my mom. You know, every day I'm like at some point calling my mom when I'm in the middle of doing something, whether it's like grocery shopping or, you know, preparing food for dinner and I'll just give her a call. And, you know, my dad too, my sister too. But I just, I, that's a good habit because, you know, you don't know how long that's going to last. Um, and it's just, it's nice. So yeah, those, those are the ones that come to mind right now. <laughs> They're good ones. Um, so this one, I feel like you've answered before in various ways, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? So if I could go back in time and tell, let's say like 16-year-old Mimi, a yeah. big piece of advice, I would sit her down and I would say everything that you think could be true and could become true is going to be your future if you just keep committing to yourself and and really follow that little voice inside your head. You know, at 16, I, I definitely was not embarking on this big personal development journey that really came a couple years later. But I, I started to notice that voice and I started to think of the what ifs if I followed that voice. So I would just, you know, reaffirm to her, that I'm not, I'm, I'm not imagining this, that this could become my life. Just keep believing in myself relentlessly because that belief that I had in myself when no one else did, you know, of course I love the people around me, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you have to be the one believing in yourself more than anything. My parents loved me and they were so supportive with anything I wanted to do, but I don't think they believed that I could create what I have today. And, and the only person that can really, really have an effect on that is you, right? So having that deep intrinsic belief in yourself and that faith, that faith that it's going to happen, that you can become this person, that's the biggest thing. So for her, I would tell her, listen, keep believing in yourself and stop caring so much about what other people think because I had to get over that, um, you know, very, very quickly. And it took a lot of time. Also so, a bad uh, habit. Yeah. So I would say that. I would just, you know, give her a little pep talk because she's on the right track. She just needs to, you know, believe in herself a little bit more. Uh, what's your biggest fear and how do you manage it? My biggest fear is honestly losing someone that I love. I've been so lucky in my life so far to not have lost anyone incredibly close to me. The closest thing to it was maybe a grandfather, you know, uh, a decade ago, but he was already sick and getting old and it was kind of expected, right? You know, of course I loved him so much, but you know, that's, it's a different type of loss and something a bit more sudden. Um, I've never had that. I guess our family dog was like the biggest grief that I've ever had, honestly, when it comes to death. And I really didn't handle it well. And I was, it was terrible. And I'm such a hypersensitive person. So that's my biggest fear at the moment, which I don't try to think about often. I try not to think about it, but um, it really is a fear of mine. And how do I manage that? I just avoid thinking about it, to be honest with you. I mean, what's the point of thinking about that? Right. Yeah. What are some things that you have sacrificed to pursue your career and your passions? 
some sacrifices? Ooh. <laughs> a lot of the time, my ego. Um, of course, you know, she comes in and out all the time. You can't completely get rid of it, I don't believe. Um, it would be really hard to, but that's something I had to put aside again, caring what people think. When, when you're at the start of your journey, it is going to be so difficult to put aside what people think of you. And you're going to get these comments from whether it's a random uncle or like a friend from childhood, you know, just, just putting you down or doubting you or, or getting weirdly triggered by you doing something new and different, you know? So that was a big one for me. I kept believing in myself more than allowing those external opinions to affect me or what I was doing. I had to also let go of being like everyone else. I stopped partying, um, you know, in my early, early twenties. Um, I don't remember the last time that I got drunk. I, I really don't enjoy going to the club or, you know, getting effed up. It's not the thing that I enjoy doing. It just, it holds you back, I believe. And, you know, excessive alcohol or drinking drugs, whatever it is. Um, I just think that excessive amount of those things just aren't good. And they, they just make you average and a lot of people do it and I'm not interested in doing it. So that was a big one. I had to stop doing that and socializing in different ways that were actually positive and constructive. I had to let go of, you know, caring. Yeah. The biggest thing was caring about what people thought. I, I, that's like the thing I keep coming back to caring, just caring, you know, and, and failure, like the fear of failure. I got over really quickly early on in life because you know, one of those big books that had that huge impact on me, the success principles, one of the, one of the chapters in there is uh, rejection is redirection. And like, you know, there's another one about failure and, and it's really, I started adopting the mindset of, you know, no is next. I think that's also a chapter in that book. It's, it's you, if you get a no, if you get a rejection, if you fail, it just means on to the next it's part of the journey. So I had to get over that fear of failure. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you do to stay motivated and inspired? Um, so inspired, we have a customer love Slack channel on my superhuman Slack account with my team on there. And most mornings we'll have new screenshots or copy and pasted messages from our social team or customer service team. Um, when it comes to people talking about superhuman and how it's helped them in a certain way, a lot of them are very specific instances and scenarios. So it's not just the same thing written over and over again. So that keeps me inspired with the business. I don't think I would be as um, hardworking on the business if there wasn't this deep mission attached to it, to be honest with you. I'm so busy right now and I could easily just, you know, dial things down with that, with that business, but I'm absolutely not. And it, there's just so much purpose and mission weaved into it. So that keeps me inspired with the work is reading our customer reviews and, and these amazing, deep, beautiful testimonials that our customers have to say about, about how it's changed their lives and how, you know, this random thing happened because they felt the confidence after doing this meditation, or, you know, they manifested this because of that. And, you know, it's just people really, like, I love mm. people. And I yeah. love people that want to help themselves. You know, I, I love people that are like shamelessly on this journey of like self-realization and and just wanting a better life. So that inspires me. What motivates me is the idea of where I'm going. <laughs> you know, like that's the biggest thing. I don't, I don't compare myself to anyone really. When people ask me, oh, who's your biggest inspiration in this industry? Like, 
I just, I, I'm so inspired by so many people, but I can't, there's not one person that I'm just like, I want to be like her because I want to be like my future self. And she's mm-hmm. never been done before. So I think thinking about my future motivates me to get there. Nice. Yeah. What are some lessons that you have learned from your past relationships? You mean romantic? Well, let's say both. So romantically, um, I haven't, Ben's really my first official boyfriend. (laughs) So um, when it comes to relationships in the sense of like flings uh, romantically, you know, a lesson there from the romance perspective would probably be don't try to give a fuck boy another chance because they're just always going to be the same. (laughs) Yes, this is true for every generation. Yeah, like if a guy wants you, he's going to show you. Like there are very You won't be confused. Yes, you will not be confused. Don't make excuses for them. That's the biggest lesson I think I learned there. Um, You know, don't chase them. Let Let it be mutual. Let them chase you. I actually really believe in the traditional woman and man approach when you first start dating. I really like it when, you know, he makes the first move. And when, I, when Ben and I first started dating, I didn't text him first for the first like six weeks or two months of us talking. I just always was trying to like, you know, um, but I didn't do that with other people. Maybe that's um, where a few things went wrong. But um, yeah, no, it led me to where, you know, I'm happy to be now. But when it comes to uh, platonic relationships or family relationships, um, some lessons I've learned there are communications, everything. You can't boil things in. Um, same with relation, like romantic relationships. You know, communication is everything. Oh, I always over communicate how I feel. I'm a very wear my heart on my sleeve type of girl. And I think that's actually helped all my relationships. If there's a problem, I, you know, tell people how I feel. And I try to do it in a way that is very honest and, and like raw and transparent. Um, I don't like conflict. So I try to you know, reduce that by being over communicative. Other lessons is, uh, you know, don't try to change someone, just appreciate who they are for who they are. I've struggled, struggled with that in the past of trying to change people because I see their potential and I tell them you have to be, go like, do it this way or, or be like this. And you have all this potential, but then it's just, it's just not their journey. And maybe I'm wrong. I have to realize that sometimes too. Maybe what I think they should be doing is not the case. So there, there are so many lessons, but those are just a few of them. Okay. What are some of the things that you hope to achieve in the next five years? Okay. I would love to grow my business, Superhuman, to be a global name. That's my biggest goal in the next five years. My biggest focus is really that this baby of mine, I, I would really love to make it as big as possible to help as many people as possible and to really grow an amazing team within the business we're very picky and selective with who we hire. And that is just the hardest part of growing this business, I think, is finding people that meet our standards. So we're slowly building the team. I'd love to have this, you know, dozens of people that really fit that criteria that meet that culture and uh, working standard. Um, So I'd love to just grow superhuman to in five years, maybe hundreds of thousands of subscribers and um, really help change and impact all those lives and have this well-oiled machine. And maybe in five years, I even hire a CEO to take my place that has even more experience running a tech company than me. I'd love to just optimize. Like the business is my priority. And I, again, ego aside, whatever is best for the business, I will happily do. So whatever that looks like, um, of course, I think my involvement forever will be very important. Um, But I think that that's my biggest thing. And uh, in the next five years as well, 
hopefully have a little bit more stability with like where we, like the homes we have around the world, you know, Ben and I just bought a place in London, which is really exciting. And we're renting in the Bahamas, but maybe by then we'll have a home in the Bahamas and in London kind of have a better schedule of where we are when maybe we'll have a baby by then. I'm not sure. We're getting a puppy in a couple months now. We just I saw uh, that on you this yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's this, a cute but... baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be our first baby. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not at any rush now to have kids. I had a bit of this like intense urge about a year ago. Um, my body was literally just like, give me a child. So my emotions were all over the place. And I had to, you know, sit Ben down and be like, can we have a baby right now? And he's like, we aren't even engaged yet, Mimi. Like, what's the rush? You know, you're, you're so young as well. And like, you know, we, we have time. So that obviously curved it for a bit. And then now since we're getting a puppy, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a really good level of responsibility, especially yes. because I'm running this business, maybe until I step down as CEO, then, then maybe I can consider having kids. But um, yeah, so that, that's what I would say, to be honest. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I'm going to ask you some of the unique questions from Mimi Bouchard that, the, uh, that chat GPT uh, spat out this morning. Some of them are really off. Like you've been living in London for a few years, which isn't quite true. But the second part of that question interests me. What do you think are the biggest cultural differences between London and Toronto. Interesting. Yeah. Chat GPT needs to learn their facts. Um, I guess there aren't that many articles written about me. I'm not that famous. So not even that popular, I would say, except for the podcast and superhuman. But yeah, living in London versus Toronto, it is just a different world to me. I I like the people I love. Like I like Toronto people too. Um, Lisa, I know you're from from Toronto, so yes, I like you. I wasn't born here. I do live here. But yeah, I would say like the people are just different. They're a little quirkier. They're a little bit less trying to be cool. You know, like in Toronto, all these people are trying to be so cool. I'm like, I don't really think you seem that cool trying to be cool, you know? And in England, they're just, I love their culture. They're just quirky and and traditional in a sense. And I love how they speak and I love, you know, just their way of life. And they're a lot more simple, I think. And I like how they're a bit less influenced by that US culture as well from like the food, you know, there are certain things like certain, you know, pesticides you spray food with that are banned in the UK that are used in Canada and the US. Like I love how it's a little bit more um, wholesome in the UK. I, I like how the people are just so unique. And I, I just, I love how cozy it feels. London just feels cozier to me for some reason. That's a nice way to describe London as cozy. What else? It says you've written a book about your experiences with manifesting. I know you are writing a book. (laughs) Can you give us a little sneak peek into what you're working on? I'm very curious about that myself. Tell me a little bit about your writing process, especially working with um, an editor. Yes, this has been a big part of my life the past few months. Um, The book is not, well, it's, it's a very modern approach to manifestation, just like how we approach it in superhuman. Um, it's, it's honestly something that I've been working on and wanting to, I've wanted to be an author and and write this book for years now, but finally in January this year, I was writing down my goals for the year. And I was like, Mimi, I haven't finished this freaking book. And I just have all these things half written and it's all messy. And I'm such a creative in that way. Like everything was just all over the place. I'm like, you know what, this is my biggest, one of my biggest goals, um, for my personal brand this year 
is to write this book and launch it this year. So I decided to force myself into accountability, which I know myself and this is what I got to do. So I hired a great book editor, Megan. Um, I found her online and we clicked immediately and she's great. So we do twice a week, we have accountability calls. So I have to you know, write at, le- at least 10 to 15 pages um, a week to hit my deadline that I want to hit. And um, she's really helped me structure the entire thing. And she's helping me essentially like, you know, edit the book and uh, get this in everyone's hands. So it's been really exciting and very, I'm in the, I'm in the thick of it right now. I'm, I'm about 40% done um, wow. all the writing. And this is mostly honestly in the past two months that I've done that 40% of writing. I have just been really in the thick of it. You know, we have, so the book is essentially about how, and I'll open up my little Google doc here so I can tell you a few things about it without revealing too much. So the book is, um, you know, how your self-image essentially changes your life, how self-image is the basis behind any type of transformation you want to do. You know, you can't change your life until you change your self-image, right? And it's the easy shortcut essentially to creating that ultimate life. So, you you know, we go through all the science, all of the different concepts that I really abide by when it comes to modern manifestation. You know, there are so many aspects of your brain that genuinely affect these physical things in your reality. So, you know, everything from, you know, the RAS in your brain, the power of the placebo effect, different studies that I I show in the book that proves the fact that these things really, that words and thoughts and beliefs truly become your reality. Um, We then go into like the first three to four chapters are the what or, or the why it's, it's, you know, why this is possible for you, why changing your self image changes your life, why it can be actually almost effortless. Well, when you know this self image theory. Um, and then we go into the how, the what and the how. Um, so the book is really sectioned off in a very pragmatic, easy to understand, like actionable way. I wanted to make sure that it was a lot of information and knowledge being shared, but then also just like a step-by-step game plan on how you get there. I help you design, you know, creating your future, knowing what you want. And then I, I really help you embody it through becoming that type of person that has what you want become an investor in the sense of embodying that investor's mentality, not just with money, but with every aspect of your life, you know, consciously prioritizing everything you do, reprogramming the subconscious mind, how everything in your environment creates your life from the clothes in your closet to the food in your fridge, to uh, what you listen to and, and ingest from like a media perspective. Um, we go into so much, but that those are just a few of the big things that I've, uh, that I have written down here. Um, but yeah, you know, essentially the book has just been inside of me for years and it's just a deeper dive on all of these teachings um, and everything that essentially brought me to creating superhuman and uh, I'm actually using the self-image practices to write the book. I was going to say, you should be using your own skills to manifest the ending of this process. Well, exactly. So I've been putting it off for years and it's obviously because my self-image wasn't aligned with someone that finished a book. I wasn't ready to be an author yet. There was something oh. subconscious happening where I was yes. just like, I'm not, like I wanted to write this book for four or five years. I had the concept. I had all the points starting to be written. You know, I just wasn't doing it and I was holding myself back. So I have a post-it note on my computer right here. And um, it's one of those virtual post-it notes that you can just have on your Mac. Mm-hmm. And I'll read, I'll read to you guys the five affirmations I have yes. on there. And this is what I had to 
this is what I had to ingrain into my whole being to actually be able to write 40% of this book, like over 20,000 words in the past probably 60 days. (laughs) And that's a lot. And with a full-time job and relaunching the podcast, like I, and, you know, do buying a house, like all these things, like this is like a really big thing. I started to condition myself to believe writing this book is easy. The content for this book flows out of me effortlessly. I get so much quality content written every time I sit down to write. I am an incredible author. I speak in a clear, concise, motivational way that truly impacts my reader. I love writing this book. Being in the flow makes me deeply happy. I really enjoy doing this. So with those affirmations, I read them until I felt them and became them essentially. And this is just on repeat. If I'm feeling like I'm in a funk and I need to sit down and write, I will just read this over as many times as it needs to be embedded into my mind again. And I get into that energy. I don't just read it. I get into the energy and then I'm like, Oh, it's easy. It's fun. I enjoy doing it. And I reframe it. And then look at that. Bam. 40% of the book is done in two months. And my editor is like, wow, she keeps saying like, you get, you're so good at this. I'm like, I've never written a book before, but this is like what I'm doing to to do it. I think if you put one of, please record that for a superhuman app so I can forward it to all my writer friends. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Writer's block meditation. Yes. I would, I would be putting that on repeat. You've talked about the importance of surrounding yourself with positive people how do you choose to, who to spend time with and what do you look for in a friend and what do you look for in a business partner? So for me, it's all about energy. Like I really, really listen to my gut and my intuition when I meet someone new, whether that is a friend, whether that's someone to hire, you know, I need to get them on a call if it's someone for work because, you know, ideally an in-person meeting, but I live in the Bahamas, so it's kind of difficult sometimes, but I I need to talk to them and and understand if we're on the same wavelength, if we um, are, you know, have similar goals and, and, you know, to understand the person and their, you know, their authenticity and their honesty, because I really value honesty with work. That's a big one for me. And, and yeah, so that for, for me, it's really just like a feeling. I'm a very intuitive, physical feeling uh, sensation, like giving me messages kind of girl. Like I know in my gut when something's right or wrong, I'll lean into that. So that's how I, I gauge that. And then, you know, it's tough because I have met friends that I love and adore and that are great people that just energetically drain me a little bit. So that's a really hard one because it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I love you as a person, but there have been a few friendships over the years that I've realized after I spend time with them, um, I feel just very depleted. Um, and maybe that's because I'm very talkative and I can be an extrovert at times. And if the other person does not meet that energy, then I feel like I'm overcompensating to have balance in the room. Yeah. So, so sometimes that's hard for me because I, I need the person to also like be able to hold the energy in the room with me so I don't get depleted. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, I no, I think, <laughs> I think that you are, because of what you do, probably innately, you have to be porous because you're, you're taking in. Um, and sometimes we forget to shut the valves and uh, yes. walk into a room. And I'm also very sensitive. I'm a writer, a creative person. I feel the same sort of porousness. And I have had to develop the ability to close valves without putting up a wall. That's been hard yeah. because I can do that and just sort of disappear, but I don't want to do that. I want to stay present, but also not take on the extra 
stuff. Yeah. That's not I mine. I like that concept. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. that concept of just closing the valve instead of putting a brick wall. Cause you know, like it, you don't need to be rude if you don't think that it's yeah. been a thing too, right? You can just have like those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a skill and it's, it's something I'm getting better at, but I think of it like an aperture lens on a camera that opens when there's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, uh, a lot to see and then shuts down when there's less. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I see it. Um, so I'm going to skip over to, to some questions that I put together, just a handful, um, that I've been curious about uh, that uh, the chat GPT did not generate. One of them is, what is the first book you read that gave you a sense that you had some control over what happens in your life? That first that aha. Think, yeah, that one I think, I sound like a broken record, but really The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, Jack Canfield. It's like I now if I would reread it, I might get a little bit bored because all those principles are so hardwired in me already. But as a young person, not knowing any of these. How old were you when you read it? I think I was about 18 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was a big one for me. You know, it really just it's for great for beginners. It's like it just exposes you to all these principles that truly determine, you know, what level of personal development you'll reach. And it was that was the one that I can think of first. It's an incredible thing, right? When a book does that to you, where it's like nothing can be the same now that that's entered your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And I studied it. I highlighted it. I took notes on it. I treated it like a textbook because I was so desperate at that time. Um, but since then, there have been dozens of books that have had that impact on me, even maybe more so looking back than, than that Jack Canfield one that, you know, every single book gives me something different than that I create you know, this reality, this, like, this mental state from everything that I read, from everything that I take in and ingest when it comes to the podcasts. I listen to the audiobooks. I listen to, you know, the conversations I have, the articles I read, like every single thing just impacts that. Um, but, but that was the biggest book and everyone has heard me talk about it. It's, it's the Bible to me. (laughs) I will read it. Yeah. I will read it. It's Um, very basic when you look back, if you already know this work, but then when you're a beginner, it's impactful. Yeah. I remember reading the power of now when I was younger and not, not seeing it and reading it at the right time and Mm -hmm. then really seeing it. So sometimes it is a matter of the right book at the right time. That makes all the difference because when I, when it really got to me, I couldn't believe not really understanding and not being moved by it, but I, I was when I was. What's the dumbest thing you ever spent money on in your quest for self-improvement? Oh my goodness. Um, dumbest. I can tell you some of the most ridiculous. Um, I don't know. Okay. I can tell you one. I, I don't think I've ever spent an insane amount of money on something dumb, but can I tell you one that I've never been public about that I can't be too descriptive about um, for a few reasons, but it was the most insane money I've ever spent on self-development. So, and I really can't, like anyone that's listening, you, I can't give any information about it because I'm not allowed, okay? Yeah, I understand. <laughs> so back in November, I told the world I was going to Tennessee on a solo trip to have some time alone. I actually went to Tennessee to do an assisted drug experience um, in the middle of the wilderness. It's not any drug you've ever heard of. Apparently this drug has only been used by like 2000 people in the world. Um, And it's not plant medicine. It's like a mix of plant and synthetic. And 
I really can't talk too much about it, but you can only go if you know someone that's gone and it costs a fortune. It essentially, like you go there for three days and, you know, you, uh, you have like your practitioners with you. Like there is like a doctor there. It's like a very professional thing. And, you know, you have the experience on the, on the middle, in the middle day. So you have the one day to prep one day to do the experience the next day to kind of like, um, integrate and the experience lasted about four hours and it was, um, pretty insane, um, but really cool. And it's for personal development and connecting to your higher self. I don't know. It's just, it was insane, but it was $10,000 and, uh, (laughs) and I did it. And do you feel like you got what you wanted out of that? Uh, it was different to what I believed it would be. Um, so my, a good friend who's a business uh, guy, um, a lot of like very wealthy people do this. And I met a few mentors now through this. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very like exclusive thing to do, which was obviously a huge part of my interest in it because I, the marketing was also great, right? Like just to be totally real as a business person that understands sales and marketing, it's like this drug, no one's like, no one knows it. And it's like the limitless drug, you know, you, and it, I was kind of advertised going into it that it would be like the limitless drug that you'd have like unlimited access to your brain for this four hour period. It wasn't really like that for me. It was just like an intense physical sensation and certain realizations come to me. So, you know, it was different to what I expected. You know, I I would do it again, but it wasn't, looking back, it did shift something within me. So I'm still trying to figure out the effect that it had on me, to be honest with you, because right after the next day, I was like, I'm not doing this again. I felt kind of hungover because it's not just plant medicine. It was like a synthetic mix as well. You know, it reminded me of those times in high school when I was doing like MDMA and I felt really like sketchy the next day. Like the next day, it was a completely different environment. So I didn't feel the extent of that, but it definitely wasn't natural. And I'm a very health conscious person. So were you yeah, alone? It was def- uh, well, during the experience, no, I had three people with me. I had three facilitators essentially with me. And, and this is the cool thing about it too. You record yourself the entire time. So you're talking oh my the God. whole time. Yeah. So like I have like this like, you know, transcript from it. Um, have you listened to it? Have you oh, listened yeah, to it? Like I worked with an integration coach after to like oh, wow. go through. I, this is just, I know it sounds crazy. Um, but yeah, so, and this is coming from me who I'm like, so not like I'm, I preach being like, you know, anti getting effed up and doing drugs. But this is, this was a different thing because yeah. it was a personal development. Like it was not a partying thing whatsoever in any way, shape or form. It was really interesting. So I I would do it again to wrap that up. Um, At one point, I don't need to do it often in my life. It was a very interesting experience. um, And I met some really amazing people through it. But looking back, I feel like there were some sales and marketing initiatives uh that kind of also allowed like wanted made me spend that insane amount of money to go do this thing so i, I don't know there like i think it's an authentic it was an authentic experience because it did help me a lot and it did give me a new perspective on a few things but at the same time looking back it also had a few things about it that um you know i felt a little naive going in mm-hmm. but but again like you know it was it was a really cool interesting experience and I don't regret doing it. (laughs) And you met people who maybe you can talk to on the podcast in the future about it anonymously. Yes, that would be I think that would be a fascinating conversation. What scares you about getting older? Oh, wow. Um, 
What scares you about getting older? I'm not that scared of getting older. I'm not, you know, you, everyone saw those trends recently where, you know, you put, you, there's this new app that has like AI, um, make you look older or younger or whatever. And there's been this whole trend, especially on TikTok, where you like do the before and after. And I did ones of me and Ben and everyone. It was like a fun game that we were playing. I actually didn't have any negative emotion towards mine. I, I was like, oh, it's really exciting. I think um, I would have a bit of like a deep sadness in my heart that like, oh, okay, wait, I'm not in this early stage of my life anymore. So looking at you know, how much time I have left would decrease with every year. That's something I might be sad about because I do have a bit of a fear of death. And I, I'm not just of people around me, but also myself. I don't have a fear of it. I just, it's one thing that makes me really sad to think about. And everyone, you know, I've had all these, I have all these friends that are spiritual gurus or on the podcast saying, oh, your spirit will live on. I don't know that for sure though. I, I want proof because I don't know. Science kind of says that I don't stay. Um, I don't know what I believe in when it comes to that, to be honest with you. I could, I'd love to be proven like otherwise, but that's the biggest thing that I, that I feel sad about when it comes to the thought of aging is just not being alive anymore at some point, getting closer to that day. And my biggest fear is, you know, reaching the end of my life and looking back with any sort of regret. And I just want to live my life to the fullest. And I know I can do that without you know, letting it impact me. I, I get sad about that. I want to be living. I want to live forever. I love being alive. Maybe these are conscious questions you can bring back to the mountains of Tennessee next time you go and do this uh, <laughs> retreat. Um, yes. the, the big questions about the afterlife and dig into your own subconscious to see if there are answers. And finally, what's one question you wish people asked you more? And what's the answer? Oh my gosh, Lisa, I wish you prepped me on this one. Ah, okay. Let me have a think. Um, what is the one question that I would love people to ask me more? Um, what does it feel like for me to feel truly alive? You know, I think that's I a that. big one. Cause I, I love feeling alive. I love, like I was just saying, you know, my previous <laughs> question had to allude to that as well. I love being so deeply present in the moment and in love with life and just feeling that beautiful array of emotion of being a human and like just being on top of the world. Like I love that feeling of just being so alive. And I like talking about that kind of stuff. And I'd like people to ask that to me more often because it reminds me to also be feeling more in the moment when that question is asked and then it provokes, you know, a deeper conversation and, you know, it's, it's, it's really what life is all about. Right. So I guess that's the biggest thing that I've haven't really ever been asked that I'd like to be asked. I love that answer because that question came from chat GPT and not me. Isn't that funny? No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for a good wrap up question and it wasn't mine. It was theirs. And your answer has everything to do with being fully and not artificially alive. So that's yeah, very apt, it's very apt way to end. How, uh, yeah, funny how an AI asked about that. <laughs> I love that. Love that. Well, thanks, Lisa, for having me. <laughs> it was so great. Thank you for this. This was a terrific conversation. Part artificial yeah. and very real. Yeah, beautiful. All right, have a good day. <laughs> you too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, we have hundreds more like it. So don't forget to subscribe and rate the show to ensure more episodes get targeted to you when you open up your podcast app. Bye for now.